0: Oh, dang. Oh, heck. 10,080, 10,079, 10,078. Dave, I don't know. Should, a we, should we be worried? It's been counting down for a few weeks here now. Do you do maths? <laughs> no, and I also don't live in the UK. Mm. So over here, us red-blooded Canadians slash Americans call it math. Uh, I was going to say. No S on I'm the offended. end. I'm
1: offended. I wonder if utilizing mathematics, if there's a way to extrapolate what this timer is pointing at.
0: Has, has anyone ever given you a list of things they hate about you? Yes. Mm. <laughs> who is that?
1: Uh, myself, mostly. Oh. Uh, family trauma. No, I don't know. Uh, 10 things I hate about you. Not Helen. She would never.
0: And who is Helen again? I'm, I'm blanking on. Uh, my, wife oh. my wife is a KonMari My wife. Yeah. Helen. Yan.
1: Dot com. <laughs> Google it. Uh, 10 things I hate about you. She no,
0: might as well be sponsoring our episodes even the amount of times you talk about her. I
1: feel like, uh, isn't this a high school rite of passage? I mean, it is framed in this movie that we're about to watch uh, in mm-hmm. high school, but uh, in high school, you're constantly writing 10 things at least that you hate about everybody
0: <laughs> on billboards, <laughs> on my locker. Yeah, yeah.
1: In your uh, skull and crossbones notebook as you're like doodling, uh, okay, I might have problems.
0: In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films The Machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle and Kyle Dave, Dave versus, versus The machine. machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle.
1: My name is David.
0: And I'm the Machine. We are here to talk about the movie 10 Things I Hate About You. It's going to be great. A comedy that came out, obviously, in 1999. Do you recall the first time you ever saw this movie?
1: The only thing I remember is it was with Helen, uh, probably on DVD. That's it.
0: It was absolutely on DVD for me. I actually have a very particular memory of watching this movie. I, I don't know if you can tell this, Dave, but I was an absolute loser what? in high school. What do you I was, mean? <laughs> I had like two to three, maybe three friends. I was tall, lanky, a nerd. Nobody liked me. I a, cried every night.
1: It's amazing that those are the same qualities that make you so popular now. God. I
0: know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm take, very, I'm very popular in a certain niche online.
1: Particularly nighttime, cry- no, no, I'm just being a bully. No, uh. I don't know. What's not popular. what's not popular in Rocky mountain house.
0: Me, <laughs> <laughs> just take a picture of me. And that is your answer.
1: Oh, come on.
0: Can't do that. Anyways, huge loser. Nobody liked me. I'll do like a tight five comedy set on my depression about almost killing myself, but that is not what we're going to be talking about here today. Uh, I bring this up. So I didn't go to school parties. I was not that cool to be invited to like the, the, the drinking that happened. So m- my first party that I went to was like, not until I was in university. However, my friend Scott invited me over to his house, uh, to sleep over. And so on that night, it was it's a very transformational moment of my life because I felt so cool. Like I no one had ever invited me over before. And, uh, you know, Scott and I were becoming better and better friends. And so we went to the Blockbuster and we rented 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, also on VHS, by the way, <laughs> 10 Things I Hate About You. Another movie that I have since forgotten. And I brought over my VHS copy of The Three Faces of Foley because I was super into wrestling. And I really wanted to show my friend Axel Foley. the not Axel Foley, Mick Foley. Mick Foley. Sorry. Getting Axel thrown Foley. off a 15 foot high steel cage by the undertaker. Oh my God. And so I introduced him to that match. And anyways, there, there was a whole big thing. Then we watched 10 things I hate about you. Lovely. And then we up late and watched Saturday night live that night, Ooh. which was hosted by the rock. It was oh, the first that's... time the rock came on really? and it is a great episode. We laughed a lot. It's also what I stole. There is this stupid joke he made in one of the, one of these skits where it's like we're gonna go meet up no he's talking about a woman he's like we're gonna go meet later m-e-a-t and i thought i was like that's funny because it's sex so that that, that <laughs> yeah, gets, should have kept that, that to yourself that tells <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know about kyle marshall in 1999 suave Rico. anyway so that was 10 things i had about you because it was a movie that I had a bit of a crush on Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which we'll get into a little bit more in this episode. So of course I wanted to see it for that. I didn't know who Heath Ledger was at that point. Julia Stiles was becoming bigger and stuff like that at that point, but it was really Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So I was like so excited that Scott had actually agreed that we're going to watch this movie and this comedy. And it wasn't really raunchy like some of the other comedies that were coming out at that time. This would have been post American Pie when we actually eventually watched this movie. So it wasn't that. And what we discovered was like, Oh, this kind of stupid movie that we thought was going to be actually turned out to be actually pretty funny and actually had more to say about our lives than what I was anticipating it to be. So anyways, there's always been this special place in my heart for 10 things I hate about you.
1: When's the last time you watched it? Mm,
0: I'm going to say a good 12 years ago at this point. I definitely have seen it multiple times. Mm, I'm going to say on the three to four (laughs) time range. It's been a while. It's over a decade since the last time I saw this movie.
1: Okay, so we'll be on the same boat.
0: Let's do this. Let's go watch this movie. And in the meantime, we'll both listen to the trailer and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll talk about 10 things I hate about you.
1: Perfect. Bianca Stratford is the most popular girl at Padua High.
0: You're asking me out? I'm down.
1: I've got the 411. And you are not going out and getting jiggy with some boy. I don't care how dope his ride is. Her sister, Kat, is something else entirely.
0: People perceive you as
1: somewhat tempestuous.
0: (laughs) Hannah switch is the term used most often. The only thing they have in common... I am the only girl in school who's not dating. Oh, no, you're not. Your sister doesn't date. ...is one simple rule. Okay, you can date. When she does. But she's a mutant! What if she never dates? Then you'll never date. Oh, I like that. For Cameron, no one will go out with her. It's a problem. Would any of you be
1: interested in dating Katarina Stratford? <laughs> Maybe if we were the last two people
0: alone. Hey everyone, it's just me, your friend Kyle. Here to be the solo person to give you this ad copy. Dave, of course, is in self isolation, as am I. Me and the Machine have been working our way through every movie that's featured a robot. It's not been fun. So let's get right to it here, then. I should let you know that, of course, Colin Dave vs. The Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta based businesses and organizations. This week, Putting It Together is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Park Power is a small local business, and like many of you out there, it has been closely monitoring the news on COVID-19 and the world's rapidly changing circumstances. While many of their team are currently working remotely, the way Park Power does business has not changed, and their commitment to exceptional customer service will remain. Find out more about Park Power's response to the COVID-19 outbreak at parkpower.ca. This week, Kylan Day vs. the Machine is also brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network. So let's listen to one of our other great shows. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. And guess what? So are we, and who are we? Well, I'm Josh. And I'm Alan. And we're pressed there to join. We have a weekly podcast bringing you current events from everything from gaming to comics to technology, security, all that fun stuff. And every episode, we bring you a recommendation for something we think you might like, and uh, we've got a special Bad Descriptions game that we're playing every week now that Josh hosts. Yeah, new for 2019, I've written a whole bunch of bad descriptions of things that seemingly makes
1: no sense, but once you know what it's to, it's painfully obvious.
0: And then at the end of every month, we do a deep dive into the history of a gaming company, franchise, or just even technology. We've done arcade cabinets one time, popular things like Mario, and then things you don't know about like Earth Defense Force. You can check us out at psgjshow.com, albertapodcastnetwork.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So as always, thank you all very much for listening. And thanks for pressing start. All right. Well, I'm honestly, I'm very excited to talk about this movie with you now, Dave, after we've now sat down and watched this and uh, we can discuss about whether we think certain things hold up after 20 years or so. Let me push this button. Thank you, machine. Both of you
1: are weak piles of flesh.
0: This movie was released on March 31st, 1999. and Oh my gosh. You know what the other movie that was released this week was, Dave? Nope. The Matrix. Matrix, starring Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Lawrence Fishburne, and Hugo Weaving. I, uh, so shocked that The Machine has an, the most popular movie probably that came out in 1999 and we're not watching it. All it's, right, well. it's weird
1: you think that a machine would focus a lot of attention mm. on a movie from
0: this year. I think we keep asking this. What is your deal, Machine? What is your end goal? Keep asking and your blood will be used to nourish my circuits. All right. Well, that was the wrong question to ask. This movie is currently rated 7.3 on IMDb. It is rated 70 on Metacritic and then on Rotten Tomatoes, it is rated 68% by critics. Pretty even across the board. And then 69% nice by the users of Rotten Tomatoes.
1: I'm shaking my head for you.
0: Available on DVD on Blu-ray, you can buy or rent it or buy it on iTunes. You can also rent it via YouTube or Google Play Movies. And in Canada, it's also available to stream on Disney plus.
1: You're not going to throw another uh, joke about streaming there. I mean, you're in the high school mode here. So what
0: what do you mean? (laughs) Its budget was thirty million dollars in nineteen ninety nine, which adjusted for inflation is forty four. Which I have to ask, what was that thirty million for? That's a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money, yeah. At the time, its opening was eight point three. You went against the Matrix. It opened to eight point three million dollars domestically. It would going to make thirty eight internationally, another fifteen, which means that it would come in at a grand total of fifty three point four million dollars, which adjusted for inflation is eighty one point three. So. A modest hit. It wasn't like a runaway hit by any stretch of the imagination, but it made its budget back and everything like that. The plot is a pretty popular teenager. Can't go out on a date until her ill-tempered older sister does. It stars Heath Ledger as Patrick Verona, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Cameron James, Julia Stiles as Kat Stratford, and Larissa Olanik as Bianca Stratford. So let's talk about Larissa Olanik. She was born on June 7th, 1981.
1: Hey, that's my birthday. June 7th. Uh, Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. In
0: 1981? No, 78. Okay. Well, after appearing in an episode of Dr. Quinn medicine woman, she would be a supporting actor in river of rage. The taking of Maggie Keene, a made for TV movie in 1993.
1: Had to be made for TV. That was a lot of words in the (laughs) title.
0: She would co-star with Rachel Lee Cook, who we talked about in she's all that in the babysitter's club. Ah. A movie we've talked about now like two or three times, which we should by now probably just watch because we've talked about it so much.
1: Spoiler alert, Helen and I tried to rewatch it.
0: Not good. <laughs> a complete silence by Dave. Depending on your age, she is maybe most remembered for being Alex Mack in The Secret World of Alex Mack, the TV series that ran from 1994 to 1998.
1: Holy shit. I've never heard of it, but it had a four year run on what channel?
0: This is, I'm pretty sure it's the Disney channel. Like this is like one of those things. By the way, uh, the autocorrect on this receipt made that the script world of Alex Mack, which is not true. After this movie, she would continue to show up in guest spots in TV shows and appear in films like A Time for Dancing, Broken Windows, and Relative Obscurity, which apparently is also where her career went. Uh, As as seems to be the case with a lot of people That we've talked about on this show She has been doing a bunch of voice acting roles She also appeared in a recurring role On the Hawaii Five-O reboot Currently, she has had a recurring role On the TV series Trinkets Its second season will be airing this year It's described as An unexpected friendship forms When three teenage girls meet In Shoplifters Anonymous Sounds right up your alley there Dave
1: I'm just I'm questioning whether we should be recording this and not just defer to (laughs) tomorrow.
0: All right. Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles was born March 28th. Oh, 1981. Same year. Mm. Her first film role was a bit part in the Claire Danes, Jude Law romance, I love you, I love you not in 1996. The year before this film, she was in the M. Night Shyamalan movie, Wide Awake, which I've never heard about. Never heard of it. About a 10 year old boy who goes on a search for God after his grandfather dies. It co-stars. Dennis Leary and Rosie O'Donnell, and I really want to see it now. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Amazingly really bad, bad, but it's going to be yeah. so good. After this film, she was in a bunch of critically liked and sometimes successful films like State and Maine, Save the Last Dance, and Oh. Then she appeared as Nicolette in The Born Identity, and she would show up, and I'm pretty sure every single one of its sequels. If you are a Dexter fan, she appeared in 10 episodes of that show as Lumen and Pierce. Most recently... You would have seen her as the reporter in the film, Hustlers. And up next is the film, The God Committee, described as an organ transplant committee has an hour to decide which of three patients will receive a heart that has suddenly become available. Six years later, the committee members struggle with the consequences of that fateful decision. Mm, Does it go to a murder? That sounds like a play to me. Uh, Yeah, I was going to
1: say, it sounds like a play, unless it goes to a murderer.
0: Oh, it has to. That's absolutely what it's doing. It's either a murderer or pedophile. It's one of those two things. You just, well, we yeah. just went, yeah. On a personal level, she did go to Columbia University and earn an English degree. Uh, she also works closely with Habitat for Humanity. Who does Who gets an English degree? Idiots. All right. I have an English degree for those of people who don't know what I mean, mean to Julia Stiles. I tried to
1: do an English minor, mm-hmm. like while I was doing philosophy and history. Well, first off, that's illegal, but. And uh, I think it... I think I was taking a Chaucer and oh, I yeah. quit because I couldn't keep up oh, with the I volume love Chaucer though. Chaucer's great, but like yeah. I'm reading philosophy, allegedly. Oh but I'm just I drinking. see, there's just too much. I'm reading, reading it, history so yeah. and then they're like, read this book in two weeks. I'm like, this thing
0: not happening. Yeah, it's, it's not even reasonable. in English, really. Un-
1: yeah, and then yeah, you gotta learn the so.
0: This is Gordon Levitt, born on February seventeenth, also nineteen eighty one. Wow. That's wild. He was a child actor appearing on a couple of episodes of Family Ties in 1988, also episodes of Murder She Wrote, Dark Shadows, LA Law, and Quantum Leap.
1: He must have had some pretty good agency and family backing. Those Um, are big
0: I don't know if it's in this write-up, but I'm pretty sure his family was in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Um his first theatrical film was a bit part in Beethoven, the dog movie. The dog movie. Uh and then in a rubber a rubber. A river. And a, then, a rubber
1: runs through <laughs> A
0: rubber runs through it. You know, the um,
1: the porn no, the no, porn f- adaptation the of uh, the r- r- no, thing. I was
0: thinking like the uh, the like the, the sex ed video that they would like push the the TV trolley into the school <laughs> classes. Please keep with.
1: this in. In the adaptation, <laughs> a rubber runs through it.
0: Of course I mean a river runs through it. For fans of Disney, you may recall him in Angels in the Outfield, but for me. It was the role of Tommy in Third Rock from the Sun, where I first remember seeing him, and I developed the hugest crush on him. That series, even though never high in the ratings, did run from 1996 until 2001.
1: It's hilarious. Well written. He's great in it. Uh,
0: I think... It's also like John Lithgow who was in there. It was like him and Kelsey Grammer traded Emmys like back and forth for like seven for years. He must well, have. well he was it was him and then Frazier, of course, Kelsey Grammer was in, but it was either him or Kelsey Grammer for like seven years in a row. Like it just went back and forth, back and forth.
1: It's not here, but what happened to Lithgow? Anyways, uh, he's on. doing
0: lots of theater, uh, <laughs> like okay. lots and lots of theater. Oh, anyways, with that TV show and this film, he seemed to want to push himself as an actor showing up in films such as Manic, where he played a psychotic teen. Latter Days, which was about a gay man falling in love with a Mormon missionary. He was not in the starring roles of that film. But he would be in Mysterious Skin, where he played a gay hustler, or at least a hustler that would sleep with men. At this time, rumors on the internet that he was gay maybe me vicarious, but that was never true. Anyways, I went a lot of those message boards and really hoped it was true. Wasn't. In 2005, he would start his relationship with Ryan Johnson, the director Ryan Johnson, by starring in Brick, a film noir set in a high school. And since then, He's either starred or showed up in cameos in every single Ryan Johnson film, including Looper, Knives Out, and Star Wars The Last Jedi.
1: Isn't Ryan Johnson Knives Out? Mm. Is he in the Knives Out?
0: As a voice, yeah. Oh, which is the I mean. The like he is, he's a cameo voice, appearance, oh, or stars in every single one of Ryan I didn't Jones. notice it. Even in the, the, the Star Wars film, he's a voice that you hear in the intercom for like five seconds or something like that. Amazing. He's continued to work, appearing in such varied films as 500 Days of Summer, G.I. Joe, The Rise of the Cobra, Inception, and Premium Rush. He turned to directing in 2013 with the film Don John, where he also starred alongside Julianne Moore. He's a sex addict in that film. His next directing project will be Wingman, which I am so much looking forward to because it will be him co-starring with Channing Tatum, and it's supposed to be an R-rated musical comedy about pilots. Amazing. Uh, Yes, please. Next up, you'll see him in the Aaron Sorkin written and directed film The Trial of the Chicago 7. Personally, he runs Hit Record, an online collaborative project that he's been running for years, at least over a decade. This was back in university, I remember him running this stuff. Uh, I've submitted stuff in the past, nothing was ever used. Um, If you don't know much of his backstory, his brother was much older than him. I think about eight or nine years, but he died. His brother died in 2010, and he was a photographer. Uh, The very private actor actually got very mad at a GQ article that said it was because of a drug overdose. He was quoted as saying it was an accident, and that's all that he's ever publicly stated about the matter. But because of feeling stagnant in his career and with his brother passing away, he committed himself to hit record. And that's all he did for a few years, and kind of the rest is history, as he's kind of pushed himself as an actor. Heath Ledger, born April 4th. 81? No,
1: 1979.
0: Uh, by led you to that joke and I'm Damn so it. happy about it. A couple Damn of TV shows and then his first film appearance was Black Rock in 1997. 10 things would be his breakout role. And then he'd go on to be in such things as The Patriot, A Knight's Tale, Monster's Ball and The Order. But there were two films in the late 2000s that would truly break him out as a major star. The first was Brokeback Mountain, which I am still upset that did not win Best Picture, won Best Director, did not win Best Picture. But his portrayal, along with Jake Gyllenhaal as a gay cowboy, and the tenderness they showed each other was a huge moment in allowing LGBT stories to be told. The other film was, of course, The Dark Knight, where he portrayed Batman's arch nemesis, the Joker. Now, if you were online at the time, you would have seen nerds lose their minds. They thought he was a terrible choice, they thought he was going to ruin the film and then they were all proven completely wrong, which is why don't get mad at casting decisions until you actually see the movie.
1: Well, you can get mad at some of them. I guess. Yeah, many of them are quite questionable. But
0: Heath Ledger,
1: uh, well, it did lead essentially to his, mm-hmm. to his doom anyways.
0: The nice Tale guy is gonna be Joker, not my Batman. I
1: likes the Nights nice, I like the half, yeah.
0: Dark Knight is the only film that I have seen in the theaters twice within the same week. Uh, I liked it that much, and I had the time back then to actually do that stuff. I do not now. In a profile written about him in 2007, he was quoted as saying, Last week, I probably slept an average of two hours a night. I couldn't stop thinking. My body was exhausted, and my mind was still going. He continued to self-medicate, and while filming the movie The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, a film directed by Terry Gilliam, he was found unconscious by his housekeeper, and then later pronounced dead. The Dark Knight would be released posthumously, he would win an Oscar for his role that he would never see. As for Imaginarium, three actors, Johnny Depp, Jude Law, and Colin Farrell, came aboard to each play the role that Heath had been playing. As I've watched the film, it does make sense when you actually watch it, how that all kind of works out. Um, at least, sort of.
1: Wasn't it reworked for it a little bit? It was reworked yeah, a little bit,
0: too. But basically, it's like one character who can shapeshift and whatever. It kind of makes sense. This movie was written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. Loosely based on the Taming of the Shrew by William Shakespeare. So they're a writing team. There's not a lot of information about them, but they began on the TV show getting personal 10 things was their first feature film, but they'd go on to write Legally Blonde, Ella Enchanted, She's the Man and the House Bunny. Upcoming is Legally Blonde 3 and an untitled female expendables.
1: Oh, actually that's true. Female Expendables. Yes, yes. They're doing that. Yeah, no, they're doing that. Stallone I, I think is, it's like, uh, producing?
0: Charlize it's going to be in the main role, but.
1: Charlie's is great. Yeah. I mean.
0: Charlie's We Trust. Directed by Gil Junger. No, I don't know how to pronounce the director's name. I'm going to say directed by Gil Younger is how I'm going to pronounce his name. Junger. Junger.
1: Junger. Wait, is there
0: an umlaut on it? No, but it's a J-U, which usually is like a sound. I don't know. Uh, He started his career in the late 80s on the show It's a Living, would stay directing TV episodes of such shows as Blossom, the Jeff Foxworthy show, Soul Man, and Ellen. 10 things would be his first film, but he would also direct black Knight with Martin Lawrence, if only, and then a bunch of TV movies. He has stayed mostly in TV, like tons of TV. Like if you go and watch his resume, like he's just been done tons of TV shows. He came back to 10 things to direct 12 episodes of that when it became a TV show in 2009. What? Yeah. It was a TV show. It was a TV show for one season. I didn't know that. Mm Mm-hmm. He also directed a spiritual sequel called 10 Things I Hate About Life in 2014. Oh God. Where two people fall in love on the day each of them is going to commit suicide. Oh that's. So sounds fun, doesn't it?
1: That's light in tone. (laughs) Can't believe I missed that one. Mm.
0: Well, I think you're going to be much more up for his next film, which is called Dog's Best Friend. It stars Megan Fox and is about a 12 year old tech prodigy whose science experiment goes awry and he forges a telepathic connection with his best friend, his dog. The duo joins forces and uses their unique perspectives on life to comically overcome complications of family and school. First in line, over here, Dave Yun.
1: You just described this podcast, (laughs) Carl.
0: That's that's right. Who's the dog in this analogy?
1: (laughs) Both of you are subservient to me.
0: Okay, so a lot of information. Dave, take it away. Your response to this film after over a decade from the last time you saw it what are your impressions now of 10 Things I Hate About You in 2020?
1: It was great. I enjoyed it. Speaking from our experience last week of mm-hmm. uh, theater productions translating into movies and then of course the loose, so-called loose adaptation of a Shakespearean uh, classic yeah. into a film. I mean, this thing plays like a play. It's done so cleanly. Uh, hilarious.
0: By the way, I think it's so interesting how like this is based on Tamia of the Shrew. Uh, the last one we watched, She's All That, was based on Pygmalion. And then Varsity Blues, We, uh, this is my own personal thing, is kind of Henry V. So it's interesting that they're all boring from like these old plays to basically be teen comedies.
1: There's nothing. There's no new. There's no new. No. God, there's no new. There's no new here. Everybody's great in it. I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I have, of course, uh, rose-colored glasses. So, I mean, I, I'm not that critical about each individual piece. But yeah the flow the story i loved the whole thing it was it was great to kind of uh, revisit it and i also like that from the music choices and just seeing that snapshot of 1999 Mm -hmm. you know it plays essentially like a period piece well what's interesting
0: too like one thing that was not true for some of the other movies we've seen that follow in this same vein is that everyone except for heath ledger was a teenager when they were doing this so Probably 17 ish when they were filming 18 when the film was actually released into into theaters. But I think that does add an air a bit of authenticity to it where it's like at least you look like you're someone in high school rather than being like you were obviously late 20s early 30s being in high school.
1: Nobody made you question whether they were the characters mentally disabled. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yes, you're not a 35 year old woman trying to play a 14 year old, and then nothing works.
1: Like no hate on Selma Blair; she's great. But you know, I was thinking about our discussion about that too, and I guess
0: this, that's the other one too. Cruel Intentions, based on like an old French thing, too. right? Désiré De- 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 uh,
1: Excellent pronunciation <laughs> yeah, there. Uh, this is also shot uh, and written in a way that it's not supposed to be an affront to morality mm. either, right? It's in a classic sense. You can use talented actors to portray. Uh, the characters, um, you know, around the, uh, correct age and the correct tone. Yeah. The,
0: well, I think also part of that, I mean, yes, part of that is the Shakespeare influence in this is that he wrote some great roles with, with women characters, even though it wasn't women playing them on stage at the time when he was writing them. Still well, play, Gwyneth might argue, no, <laughs> right, exactly. <clears throat> but I mean, still writing these really good, complex female characters, I actually think, and people might get mad because we've been talking about gender a little bit the last few weeks here. uh, uh, in the creation process, but I think it does go with the two women writing this script. Yes. That the women don't fall into that trap of being like either totally underwritten or totally inconsequential to the plot. These are women that are driving the narrative forward and are complex characters. And they're not just one note. There's, there's layers to them that uh, are unraveled throughout the film.
1: Yeah. Unraveled. In a timely and, and like exciting manner where mm-hmm. you're like discovering, for example, yeah, Julia Stiles' character and how she became the shrew. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. It also brings me to that uh, thing we talked about, the, I think it was in the New York Times article, but about the latest conspiracy that uh, the Shakespeare texts were written likely by uh-huh. a woman uh, of that era. I can't sure. remember her name, but uh, there are some fascinating- uh, Wilma
0: Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: she like, I can't remember where she's from when she enters the uh london thing the the timelines work and mm-hmm. some of these uh these characters the insight that they have even reading the original shakespearean uh, plays the insight for a, a man in the victorian age to have how a woman would react or be in this situation some fascinating fascinating things but uh, we brought up last week me hating on uh uh, my hating on uh, what's his name Nicholas Sparks, right? Yeah, and uh, garbage rom com romance. Uh, that's pretty strong, but I'm gonna stand by. Well, I'd say that this
0: is more romantic than Message in a Bottle was.
1: Oh my god, we watched Message in a Bottle.
0: <laughs> yeah, remember that movie? It's currently our lowest rated film that we've watched so far. <laughs>
1: uh, so yeah, it's it's great. It's refreshing to watch, um, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's light. But it does deal this, with all these like yeah. real real uh this
0: is the hard part about comedies in, in a way where i mean describing comedy bits is never going to be funny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just won't be
1: you should try it though
0: we okay give a... <laughs> so when he says knee deep in placenta it is hilarious when he says that um i actually do think that's the <laughs> my favorite quote from literally the entire thing do you think that this is the best comedy we've seen so far not comedy the best teen comedy we've seen so far
1: y- yes because um, i'm having trouble remembering what we have seen she's is. all
0: that varsity blues which isn't 100 percent a comedy um and cruel intentions not really a comedy but so teen-centric movie is this the best oh, yeah. teen-centric movie Hands we've seen down. so far yeah of course why does this succeed where the other ones failed
1: number one like you mentioned the casting was appropriate mm-hmm. So everybody, you, you get a feeling like this is a high school. I mean, even with Heath Ledger clearly not being a high schooler, visually the, the character plays that way and they either they write to it, uh, but mm-hmm. you know, you get this question, of, this question of whether he should be there or not. Yeah. And he's in a bar and he's smoking cigarettes and he's too right. cool. He's just I too mean, cool. it
0: is the epitome, and this is probably what I even thought back in like 1999, early 2000, whenever I saw this movie for the first time, where this movie is the example of this is way better than it deserves to be almost right. It's like the subject matter, the, the, the normal way that these movies go, like you go in with a certain expectation and then it kind of just elevates that material to such an extent that you're like, wow, that was like, I was not expecting it to be as good as this actually was. Now, have after having heaped all that praise on it, what criticisms do you have about this film?
1: I have to take a pause Kyle cause I'm trying to remember the movie that much. <laughs> I burnt myself out thinking about ravenous.
0: Okay, so there's two things that I would bring up. I know you're having... We just cut out 20 minutes of you staring blankly at the wall not being able to answer that that question. (laughs) But uh, so this is... Call me a prude or call me like a white knight. I guess that's kind of what the situation we're going to find myself in. What I really uh, like tuned into while watching this movie now in 2020 is, boy, do they throw around the word bitch a lot. Like Just as like, uh, uh, she's being a bitch, you're a bitch, everyone's a bitch. I don't know, I feel that that is such a... It's not that like saying that once or twice is gonna affect me a, a whole lot, but I'm sure that they use it over a dozen times in this film, just as a, a pejorative to throw at other people. And I thought it was just weird after a while that that's the word that they kept going back to.
1: I, I think I wasn't sensitive to it at all just because I grew up in that era and uh, in all of those words, uh, I hesitate to use them, uh, mm. but they've come up, you know, brag, bitch, yeah. Cunt is not used that well in North America, and in, in England, the cunt is still a very prominent word. Yeah. Thank
0: you to our sponsors this week.
1: One of the things I've been thinking about lately in this context is um, we've become very sensitive to how insensitive we have been, at least mm-hmm. by implication. And we are at a stage, we think, at least uh, in society, that at least the people we hang around want to be inclusive, welcoming, and balanced. But there's also this heightened sensitivity that comes with it that I don't really know, Kyle, why the word "bitch" strikes you negatively here. I mean, particularly even with the women writers at the time, whether they're playing into the role yeah. or not, the word "bitch" in particular uh, had a very specific meaning. Um, used a different word. We call them like a cruel woman, like a selfish, egotistic. Like it,
0: it's not even that. I think it's more just like the uh, I wanted a more varied vulgarity to do to, to the thing well the, but i mean i guess the, the 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 rebuttal to that is like their teenagers are not all that smart when it comes to this sort of thing either so it's just like the easiest thing to like throw off at the other person
1: i think as well in the era there aren't that many other words that you could use i can't think of very many i i haven't used that word actually in a long time but i haven't certain. met anybody that's treated me that way because we're not in a high school setting. We're not rubbing against people.
0: I really haven't met that many bitches recently, actually. So I just haven't am well, using
1: the word. I'm actually okay with that phrase, like, uh, in that way. I don't think I've ever met, I haven't met any bitches lately. <laughs> uh, if I worked in an office or a compressed social environment, maybe we should interview somebody to see yeah, if they still sure. describe people as. Later on, and this may be true in the nineties, you know, there was the really negative thing where a bitch was, uh, used against a man. To imply mm-hmm. that acting like a woman was negative, just like using the word, you know, bag or gay or gay mm-hmm. or whatever was used as a negative sense. If that was how that was playing, I, and I don't think that the the stuck up dude was calling either Joseph uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt or Heath Ledger Ledger a bitch. I think mm-hmm. it was constantly used as a descriptive term for julius thales It didn't flag for me at all. The, certainly, I've become very sensitive to all the movies we're watching where uh, men are categorized as. Being too feminine, oh yeah, and therefore being weak—that's that's its own problem.
0: Well, there's definitely an awareness going on because the one thing I I think we should mention is the their teacher that they have, right? Oh, yeah. So black man. Teaching in school, and he is like the self-aware person he's in this woke. movie. He woke. Well, he's he's woke before that term woke was even was even around pre woke. So, but he he's almost like doing this meta commentary on the movie. It's like this isn't what's supposed to happen. It's like I'm a black guy in a white school. Like don't tell me about oppression. Like right. white people in rich houses. Right. Like uh, so I think that they're more self-aware enough to be like this is a very white movie. So we need to have a character that comes in. It's like these are white people problems. Yeah, you know, bitches be crazy. Am I right? Well, like,
1: the even the opening montage with uh, Allison is it Janner? Jenny, Jan, oh, right. I forgot Jenny, about the right? weird like sex novel she's sex writing. Novel. Yeah. So, they set it up as this fantasy world mm-hmm. where it's just there's everybody's a comedian. Well,
0: well right? the thing is, like, talk about that movie coming out in 1999. Anything that the teachers do in this movie immediately would be fired in the year t- 2020. I mean, Julia Stiles shows her breasts to, to one of the teachers, and he's like, Oh, like, I, I like, mean he's
1: he's shocked but not uh pedophilic exactly yeah
0: but it's nice they don't go down that road uh, here in this film but
1: although uh, you know we're not teenagers anymore Kyle we don't know what happens behind closed doors anymore maybe everybody's flashing everybody in high school these days <laughs> maybe that's a new thing yeah maybe that's what they did when like they like off. they that's got off social media that yeah. they do and they're just like yo check it it nips <laughs> look at, out
0: look at my slammer wow. uh, we're, we're, gonna in yeah, we're gonna get a lot of trouble for this we're gonna get a lot of letters <throat> for this one I think by the way, you can write us at uh, Kylan Dave versus the machine at gmail.com.
1: I was actually going to note how old we are that you re- said letters and not emails, tweets, or <laughs> DMs, or messages. Uh, so, oh, our postal address.
0: <laughs> yeah, postal address. So, make sure you write this down. Care of. No. Don't uh, lick the
1: stamps. Seinfeld taught us that. That's right. Yeah, I don't really have any, uh, I don't have 10 things I hate about this movie.
0: I, no, no, I, I, I agree. I think that overall it's strong. I. For me personally, and this is just a feeling rather than be like, I can tell you concretely what I mean by this. When I watched it this time, I felt that I could start to see the seams almost to it, meaning that it's like, oh, I'm starting to see the datedness of some sure. of the mentalities and some of the situations that they're, they're putting themselves in. At the same time, like laughing so hard at certain scenes where the delivery is just good or the psychics, like when the guy gets shot by the arrow, it's like, this is still funny, man. still funny. <laughs> classic gags.
1: Um, I know what you mean. It, it, it's becoming dated, I think, only, not for any errors they made in making right. it or in the performances, but just because our society currently is evolving to a point where we're just hypersensitive to everything.
0: Yeah, and I think, it, well, I think it falls into the same category. Not that I necessarily would say it's as good as, but there's a great classic comedy called Some Like It Hot, with Marilyn Monroe and Jack Lemmon and uh, Tony Curtis. It's just I think when I watch that movie, it's like, do I really understand like why some of this is funny? No, there's still great funny scenes and I like it. But at the same time, it's like, I just don't live in that world anymore. And I think that this is what comedies often find themselves uh, falling into, which is like, they are funny because they were out in that time. The, the classic example is Ace Ventura. A lot of those early Jim Carrey films, which when you watch now, like are like, who this does not hold up, like at all holds up. Uh, which is unfortunate, but they were like, I love those movies as a kid. They just are not good <laughs> when you watch them as an adult.
1: Did I tell this before? But anyways, I was at that uh, photography talk, and one of the documentary photographers, George Weber, talked about how timelessness requires some understated uh, approach mm-hmm. and um, sort of acknowledgement of the subject. And so we can watch some of the timeless great movies. Like uh, mm-hmm. my my go to is Seven Samurai, Kira Kurosawa. I mean, it's a period piece so that you can uh, remove a lot of the idea of, you know, well, this is Meiji. Well, I can't remember what era Japan it is, but uh, they have guns. So it's around just pre Meiji era uh, samurai in Japan. So, you know, you can strip away a lot of that context. Yeah, you brought up Marilyn Monroe. Uh, To think that Marilyn Monroe today would be considered overweight, Mm. uh, very plain, you know, it's weird because she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. Uh, She was actually disrespected a lot as a human being oh yeah uh, but when you watch those movies yeah you can understand a little bit what made them quote unquote racy or challenging but my god it's like it's just a woman you know teasing men or dancing yeah. funny or singing in a seductive way but that's not where seduction is today today it's like you watch showing even each a, other their slammers a pg-13 movie is going to have uh, can have yeah. full-on right questionable pornographic material. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as there's no erect penis and they don't use the word maybe bitch. I don't know what the flags are anymore. It's very well very PG
0: thirteen can have one F word yeah. in it. Yeah. So you know,
1: we can't fuck twice.
0: That's the next James Bond <laughs> movie, everyone.
1: <laughs> uh um, okay yeah, so the context changed, but I I know what you mean. It it feels not aged, but mm. it's aged.
0: So let's end off on this question then. Do you find that this movie then is still culturally relevant to us today here in 2020?
1: I want to say yes, but I think it's nostalgia. I, mm. I think w- the reason I say that is I'm remembering, uh, is it 21 or 22? I think it's 21 Jump Street, uh, that comedy where when Channing and uh, Jonah Hill go back to high school and they play into these types, you know, th- there's right. a jock. And, there's, and then they go into the modern high school not really... and they're like, that doesn't exist anymore. So uh, the core themes of um, you know what the characters are going through and this idea of like going through personal trauma and you know those are timeless concepts, existential, philosophical, uh, beautifully written, beautifully performed. But the contextual thing of what high school is isn't gonna, like if we show that to a high schooler now, yeah, so that's I'm true. not sure if they give a shit about the movie at all. Yeah, we, that uh, might that's be actually
0: extra. a great point, and we should maybe try and find like a younger perspective a on this. Like, does up? this actually? hold up to your experience in high school is this like a completely foreign concept.
1: Will uh, Clockwork Orange a high schooler and just like
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly just Like, watch this watch this and tell us why it's good. Um, We're not if, weird we promise.
1: If we said that to a high school how many would even understand what yeah, a Clockwork well, Orange Well that's true. Is,
0: yeah. Well I was about to say like I mean there has to be some sort of cultural relevance although maybe not great in that there was a TV show and there was a, this sequel that came out. So there must be still some sort of cachet. But that probably is, again, feeding into the nostalgia they, bit of, failed, of right? us, right? Yeah. These are failed properties, even though there's, like, still that idea. But for us, I, I don't know. I could still pop this on and watch it and be perfectly happy with it. It's a, it's a movie that I do enjoy. And it's kind of like that warm blanket that I can come back to and still enjoy. Can you make this
1: movie today? You know, with the way we interact social media, the way we have... Uh, gender, sexual, personal identity crises at a much more complex level. Well, at least projected, it seems more complex. It might be the same at its core.
0: uh, At its core, but there would just be different specifics that would have to go on, right? There'd be group chats, there'd be different ways that they would express their affection for each other and stuff like that. I still think you could make it sort of, but again, to your point, like the... High school experiences are so much different nowadays with technology. Yes. But with the, this, the way that like people interact with one another as well,
1: we're, we're presuming, I mean, we're pretty young. Like we just, you know, we still, we still got it. I
0: mean, there's still bullying and stuff that happens. I don't want to make it seem like there's not that stuff that still goes on. It's just, it's not, it's gonna sound weird. When I go to high schools, I, I only say that because I just recently went and saw a high school production of Little Shop of Horrors in whatever the date is today. It definitely happened this week. Um, <laughs> Good. Playing with time uh, is—I mean, great. talking to those teenagers after they had done the play. It's like, oh, okay, like there's just, just there's a different way that they communicate with teachers, and the teachers interact with them, and the way that they use technology, and the way that they, yeah. I don't know, just talk with one another. So I think that again, yes, I think that Shakespeare, the very best of Shakespeare, is timeless. You can continually adapt it, like this did. It just be again a different. Way they would adapt this source material.
1: Let me ask you a quick follow-up then. You know, as a theater person mm-hmm. speaking to high school, presumably presumptuously emerging or new age mm. theater people, yeah, do you still feel like you connect with them on a, a theater spiritual level, or is there now sort of a a discord in the way that you know even kids talk about theater anymore?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, and, that, and that's going to also be. A little bit biased because they're in theater anyways, they're interested in the history of it. So they know that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I now know what my parents felt like when they mentioned, like when I was in the nineties and they would mention something from 1978 and i look blankly at them and be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Where if you mentioned third rock from the sun, even though it went until 2001, they were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. So we have to be aware that 1999 was. Before many of these kids were born, oh, so yeah. like they All just don't them. have that same conception, that being said they will they still know like the the big hits and stuff like that they they still know those cultural touchstones, so they're not like completely
1: well, I was thinking more like not like, so much, yeah, not so much judging on on their uh, ability to like have researched as much uh, history as you mm-hmm. might have over the course of your life as you know nineteen year old Kyle would mm-hmm. know less about the history of musical theater than uh, yeah. Twenty twenty-five.
0: There? Sure, let's go with that. Um,
1: I just meant more like on a yeah. I don't know. Spiritual is an overused word for me, but the, you know when you're conversing with someone who loves the theater, it's different than when you well the thing I, with think somebody that loves I think coffee. honestly
0: what's different nowadays is that I think that love is per, that permeates and you can still have that conversation with with each other and I think they're eager to learn it and the way that they can learn it is just so much quicker than what I could when I was a kid. Right in seconds, they can have their YouTube video or. <laughs> Be be reading about it or whatever it happens to be or however they want to consume it, they can just find out and they're like oh got it cool I'm gone. Um, they don't have to belabor the point uh, much longer. I so. wonder and this is
1: a purely old man judgmental yeah. thing, but the way that you ended that phrase, you know, I got it and I'm gone. Yeah. I think the I'm gone part is what frightens me. And I wonder, you know, uh, with if if I uh, start this other project with photography, if I can get in touch with let's say an 18 year old photographer, a 65 year old photographer. It'll be fascinating over the time, and mm-hmm. even with the you know, mutual pursuits that we have in the creative field, it might be something for us to kind of poke at. Is it rubber runs through it? <laughs> uh, to,
0: to poke at a little bit. Don't, don't poke the rubber.
1: Yeah, uh, to poke at a little bit to see if the core of what drives people to love the things that we love is a common seam, or if there's something that's actually culturally evolving there. Mm-hmm. And like what theater means as a, as a sort of a conceptual idea. What
0: actually is interesting and something we already mentioned a little bit is I think what they're much more aware of is whose story is it that's actually being told. So I think that they're, again, I'm biased in this one school that I went in and interacted with, I don't know about global changes, but is this the role of say like us as white people to tell this story or is it maybe better told by somebody else and like, I'm not going to put on blackface and I'm not going to like you know, uh, dress it up if I'm a shark in West Side Story when that's a Puerto Rican story to be told and that sort of thing. I think they're just more self-aware about that idea and encouraging of those people to yet like be included in that sort of thing. And so I just was would not have even really been aware of when I was their age.
1: You know, it'd be interesting and it, we may have generally generationally missed it, but it would be interesting if you could because uh, I agree with you, I think that sensitivity exists, but it would be interesting if we met someone, you know, in their 80s, when, uh, when those productions first started, if they were actually aware too. But cultural norms didn't allow them to express it.
0: Um, yeah, so for I me, mean, like, there's, a, there's a subtext to it. I mean, yeah, me being yeah. so involved with Sondheim and stuff like that, I mean, co-wrote West Side Stories. And then he would eventually go and write a show called Pacific Overtures, which was about the East meeting Japan. And, and those two stories colliding together and writing it in a Japanese style but taking a lot of time to like learn Japanese music and instrumentation and how that works to, to each other
1: starting to think of yeah Clint Eastwood's uh, mm. Iwo Jima and the, what was the other one
0: Flags of Our Fathers yeah anyways, um, okay. anyways so that's a kind of
1: a side rambling, rambling. Um,
0: time to wrap it up bitches so that was 10 things I hate about you or as the computer knows it 2 things I hate about you it's a binary, binary joke binary
1: joke come on
0: um, so, Dave, what would you rate this movie out of five?
1: You think that by now I'd be prepping and like <laughs> to being know a little bit about what you're going <clears> to <throat> do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a four. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go with a strong four.
0: That is a good number because that's exactly what I gave it to. So we're back on the same page, Dave, after last week's weirdness mm. of us being super far apart. We almost broke we up. We are aligned. So that means that it is tied with... Lockstock and two smoke and barrels. So, do you believe that it is better than Lockstock or do you want to put it underneath it? I think I have a, an opinion, but I mean,
1: I think as a movie in the sense like fully technical performance wise structure, it's a much better movie than Lockstock. I think nostalgia wise, and you know, what would I turn on if I just wanted like it, it's mm-hmm. a mood thing. Yeah. Um, so, I think overall, over the course of history, and the idea of a movie in general. Ten Things completely kicks Lockstock's ass. But personally I think I'd be more apt to watch Lockstock mm. before I watch Ten Things again. So yeah. So, so how so do I want to break this tie? Because I, I, I
0: think ten things is I would rate it above Lockstock. Well
1: then I think that swings it because I'd be okay. undecided and you're decided. And therefore, you know, as a white male, you get to <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> You can't throw that at me right now. <laughs> Geez Louise. Okay, well, on, on that note then, Ten Things I Hate About You enters into our number two position Ooh. on our list. So if you want to look at that in more detail, you can go to our letterbox, letterbox.com slash KDVSTM, which just so happens to be what our social handles are on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to go and follow us over there as well. As I mentioned before, you can also get in contact on all the things we got wrong or the things you want to correct us about by sending us an email. Not a mail, not a letter, just a regular old fashioned electronic mail to Kyle Dave versus the machine at gmail.com.
1: We will only accept messages written in Comic Sans MS, which is the universal font choice of intellectuals. Uh, it is my favorite. Uh, it
0: is the official font choice of Kylan Dave versus the machine.
1: <laughs> I, I could just see Helen like angry.
0: This is so mad and fuming. So would you like to hear some trivia?
1: I always would like to.
0: (laughs) Great. So the scene in which Kat reads the 10 things poem was the first and only take, according to the DVD extras, Kat's tears towards the end of the poem were real and not planned.
1: Felt it. I felt it. I think so
0: too. I think, I mean, there's a sense that I get, maybe this is unfounded, but there's a sense that I get that Julia Stiles is considered not a very good actress. Maybe that's me projecting on certain things. But uh, I thought she nails this role so well, and I I feel for her so much in that scene too, right? She puts all this faith and that was a big deal for her through her evolution and her growth in this movie and then kind of breaks down.
1: She definitely is, as we talked about, uh, cast very well in this, and she's Mm -hmm. great in this movie. I wonder, to be completely judgmental from the Hollywood perspective, just she's not, you know, the bombshell look. Right, I got you. Uh, And she has a very stern face. Like her expression. Yeah, like so like I love Save the Last Dance. Like I love, actually like that movie. And, uh, but when she's the specialist. Like that, in that epitome
0: of like, like the awful thing that men say to women. It's like, you should smile more. Yeah. And they get punched in the neck.
1: There's a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we don't know anything about her personally, whether she even enjoys uh, being subject. To this
0: so act. this actually brings up an interesting point that I forgot to actually mention in the episode. The 10 things she hates about him. Can you recall what those 10 things are? Because she says it in the poem. That's why I bring it up. His perm? His perm.
1: No. uh, No, I I don't remember specifically how the poem went. I was just too moved. Yeah. My ears welled up with tears. Mm -hmm.
0: What I think I'm going to do, because the machine has actually given me a link to a website to go to. I'm going to put that into the show notes when this gets posted so people can take a look at it and see it's broken down. There's a bit of controversy as far as the 10 things that she hates about him. Some people say, yeah, absolutely. There's 10 things. Some people read as there being 14 things. 14. Anyways, not to get into it right now, but here are the 10 things she hates about him with the 11th, that last line that she hates herself. That's kind of like the summation of the poem, right? So she hates, this is the, I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse when you make me cry. That's 10. And 11, I hate it when you're not around. So I was right. The
1: perm's mm. in there. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. stupid yeah. dumb haircut. Now, uh, putting aside the fact that I think this is actually a terribly written poem for someone who's supposedly really good in English. She <laughs> in asked about the pen- class. Ten- yeah. 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 But uh, the, I don't know, what, do you, what do you, how do you feel that this all works together?
1: Oh, well, that's a broad question. I'm still moved when you were reciting it mm. and uh, yeah, you don't hold a candle to Julie Stiles. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. And, uh, I apologize for having to
0: be so blunt.
1: I don't know, the, yeah, it's poorly written, but there. I think I was picturing her reading it and the genuine feeling yeah. like it's.
0: Uh, it's one of those things where the feeling behind the lines are better than the actual lines themselves.
1: And also this thought that this is not her trying to complete a Shakespearean essay. This is her declaring that she made a mistake.
0: Yeah, hard on the line. I Maybe
1: mean, not a mistake, but that she uh, has this con- that that she felt the connection that transcended his transgression. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ooh.
0: That work? That works. That's a good soundbite. Uh so David Kremholtz, who plays Michael in the film, he's the friend to Joseph Gordon Levitt. Oh yeah. Uh the guy who would be like in a bunch of films. Serenity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh he wrote a piece for Vulture explaining why he thought the movie worked so well. And so I mean, we were talking about how we thought that all the characters kind of interacted really well with one another. Uh, he said that the entire cast became fast friends. So Joseph Gordon Levitt turned me on to Fish and I turned him on to Wu-Tang. The actor wrote, Gabriel Union had us in stitches. Julia Stiles brought her own brand of Soho-bred artistic intellectualism. At only 17, Larissa Olenek's laughter filled the room, and we marveled at the toneness of Andrew Keegan's muscles. A great sport. Filming began without Heath Ledger, and the cast worried how his presence would change the dynamic, and this was a concern that was remedied a few days later when he arrived, and we found yet another comrade in sensibility. The group with Heath only got stronger, before I knew it, the cast was experiencing what I've since found to be all too rare a unified chemistry throughout the ensemble without a single bad apple in the bunch. We all agreed that we were having the best summer of our lives.
1: I'm just listening to you read that and hearing it in his voice. Yeah, oh, right. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in every movie he's in, he's got this uh, pretentious, you know, very developed, uh, what do you call it? Jewish. Wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, the table dance scene is what led Julia Stiles landing the lead role in Save the Last Dance.
1: She was working it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was surprising too. Kind of comes out of nowhere a little bit, but she's drinking and she gets she loses herself a bit.
1: Well, what's great about that scene too compared to many other awkward moments is like it actually looks like she she could she might be able to save that last dance. It's <laughs> not just a really awkward thing where she's losing her mind. Mm-hmm. You get that that little sense that she used to be the mm-hmm. something else other yeah, there than that
0: hint sh- of like this is she's departing. not revealing everything that she could about herself she's twerk here's the last one during a Q&A with screenwriters Karen McCullough revealed where the title came from the title is based on a diary entry that I made in high school she explained I had a boyfriend named Anthony that I was frequently unhappy with I made a list called things I hate about Anthony when Kirsten Smith her, co- her writing partner and I decided to write this I went through all of my high school diaries to bone up on the angsty memories. And when I told her about that list, she was, that's our title.
1: You know, we don't use bone in that context anymore. I think we should bone up more.
0: Uh, I think
1: bone, uh, the world needs more boning. You know, we should, we should bone it up. Like
0: if, there, if there's anything hey, wrong. Dave, you and I, we can bone anytime.
1: I'm just saying, I think we're boning right now. We just gotta, just, I, I lost. Boy, it. our
0: downloads are going up. They're going through the roof.
1: <laughs> what, what is. I, what, what did she say? With I don't even remember what boning means.
0: She was boning up on her angsty memories. Oh, that's
1: right. We got to keep boning it. Yeah, let's bone it up.
0: I'm go- we're going to bone it, bone it. Let's see what we're going to be watching next week. Okay, well, the, the, the machine has come through with us here. We get to watch next week, The Matrix. Of course. We're going to be revisiting The, the Matrix, uh, which I, I think I only watched like three years ago, three, four years ever, ago.
1: Have we ever left?
0: Have we ever left? We're all part of the simulation, I suppose.
1: Um,
0: Anyways, so uh, how is that list coming? Uh, I asked you to write all the 10 things you loved about me before we started recording here today. So what's uh, what's the number one? I'm
1: still looking for a pencil.
0: Oh. Yeah. Uh, I gave you a pencil. uh,
1: I needed it in a 2B lead. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to erase and make. I mean, that's
0: very Shakespeare appropriate.